We're going to spend this summer in what would be called one of the greatest sermons that Jesus ever preached, and that is the Sermon on the Mount. Y'all remember that? A lot of people have talked about it. There's a lot of religions that pull pieces of that. You have the golden rule. This is also the place that Jesus taught us how to pray in Matthew chapter 7 as we walked out. But it's so easy for us over the years to read the Sermon on the Mount, to discuss the Sermon on the Mount, but also miss what we would consider to be the keystone of uh, Jesus' uh, teachings because we, we tend to lose sight of what it is. You know how we can hear something over and over and over again, and then after a while we just begin to just get it out of our heads. We don't really fully listen. We have selective hearing. And I think that happens a lot of times when we talk about, especially like with the Sermon on the Mount, because you have, uh, within this teaching, you have the famous Beatitudes. Again, you have the Golden Rule. You have the Model Prayer. So all these things are there. And, and we know in a secular culture that even in the secular culture, secular people can ignore the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount either because you'll see things in these chapters that are being taught everywhere that aren't necessarily religious, but they'll say, hey, you need to love each other. You know, you need, you need to take care of people, make sure that people are good. Now, the, the Sermon on the Mount is three chapters long. So this is a really long sermon that Jesus is teaching. And so many people believe that it's possible that Jesus' message expanded over the course of a few days, not just a few hours. And y'all thought 45 minutes to 30 minutes was a long time preaching. I, I can't even imagine going days on end in the heat outside just touching on these topics. And the title, the Sermon on the Mount, believe it or not, Jesus didn't say today we're starting a new series over these next couple of days, and it's going to be called the Sermon on the Mount. That's not at all uh, where that came from. The, the name Sermon on the Mount would, would show up by a guy named St. Augustine uh, sometime between the years uh, 354 and 430 A.D., and he would finally give the name to call this the Sermon on the Mount when he gathers these three chapters together. Now, what I want us to see throughout these teachings, Jesus is teaching us how to be citizens of his kingdom. All right? That's important. We're learning how to be citizens of his kingdom. These are the teachings. And what, what I want us to look at very specifically is we're going to be studying those blessed statements that Jesus gives us. All throughout this. So this is a, Jesus has given us the, the, the ethic of the kingdom. So Jesus wants us to be sure that everybody understands what the expectations are for kingdom living. If you're going to be a part of the kingdom, this is what living is going to look like. This is what a follower of, of, of me would look like. If you're going to follow me and take up your cross, these are the marks of a kingdom believer. Okay. Now, we would say that we have a little bit of an issue with that here in, in, in America, at least. That sometimes what we read in Scripture doesn't really add up with people. They don't really live that out. There's maybe people that claim that I'm a follower, but they're not living out the kingdom values and the kingdom teachings of the Scripture. And, and I would say this, too. We all have fallen and, and failed at some point in this, correct? Am I the only one that has struggled with kingdom living? All right. Y'all just throw me out there. That's fine. Jesus loves me. But Jesus says, there are many views and interpretation of what the kingdom is. But I would say it's safe to say that the kingdom is wherever Christ is king, that is the kingdom. Because when you take Jesus off the throne, which 
we think that we do that. But if we think we can take Jesus off the throne and take the place, we're not in his kingdom anymore. We're now ruling and reigning and, and depending on our own dependency and fulfilling our own things. So again, what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, this is a kingdom ethic. This is Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And he has shown us his will for how he desires the followers to believe and how we're to behave in the world. So that is our overall arch of the Sermon on the Mount. We're, we're good there. It all boils down to this. If you're going to write it in a paper, in a, in a one sentence, Jesus is teaching us how to be kingdom people. And that, that's, that's it. And now that's the easy part. You want to know what the hard part is? Living like kingdom people. <laughs> you know why that's hard? Because of other people. And because of us, sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Am I right with that? Sometimes we can get in the way of trying to live out the values that Jesus wants. Because I know, I, I, I don't know about y'all, but there's times that I get in debates with the Holy Spirit about what I think would be better. Anybody else? Y'all are super spiritual today. Y'all shining your halos out there. Um, John Stott, who's, who's a theologian, said, He's talking about, he's noted of modern hearers from the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, it's probably the best known part of the teaching of Jesus, though it's arguably that the Sermon on the Mount is the least understood, and, and, and this is clear, and certainly it is the least obeyed of all the teachings of Jesus, that we don't really live and, and obey. Can I tell you that I think the metric that Jesus measures the success of a church and the success of our life, that measurement would be obedience. How obedient are you to the gospel? Not, not how obedient to you serving, how obedient to how much you give, how obedient to how many, your, your perfect attendance in church. I think he's looking for obedience and abiding in him. That's, that's, that's the mark of, of Christian living in a, in a kingdom. I would say in Matthew chapter 5, that's where we're going to start. The theme of this teaching, we could call it the blessed life if we want to. And there's a great book written on this, and, and I can post it for you later. But it's called The Blessed Life That Nobody Wants. And you'll see why in just a minute. Because in the Beatitudes, in this, in this teaching, Jesus is going to use a word here. And, and he's going to use it multiple times. And that word is blessed. We love that word here in the South. That's a good Southern word, like bless your heart. That's a, that's a good one, right? Blessed dog mom, blessed whatever. You fill in the blank. Blessed. And that word blessed has been hijacked. Because now blessed has also been associated with what we call the, the prosperity gospel. That all these material blessings that you get is a good thing. God's blessing you. And when we, when we look at blessed in, in, a, in a form of like just being materialistic, we miss the full scope of what God's trying to do. Let me, let me break it down this way. The Beatitudes is what we call these, these blessed statements that we're about to look at. The Latin translation would be this word called uh, Mercurios, say that with me. Ma, say that. Ma, cure, rios, Mercurios. That's Latin, and guess what? You now know Greek. All right. Um, and, and I'm okay with teaching you some Greek and some Hebrew because here's the way I look at it. If you can go to Starbucks and order a drink, you can you can pronounce some some Greek words. All right. So, in the Greek, Mercurios uh, Mercurios says this. It, it is. It means happy. It means blissful. It means fortunate. If we break it down, here's what it really means. Blessed simply means to be happy by God. It doesn't say anything about material possessions in there, right? Because here's the thing. One day, we're going to take our last breath or be raptured, whichever comes first. 
But the only thing that we can take to heaven are people. What is that? What do you think Jesus is trying to tell us there? We don't get to take our possessions. We don't get to take our wedding albums. We don't get to take anything. But we can take people. And I think God's telling us that the gospel is important to get out the people. And he says that, that you're to be blessed. I want you to understand every time we use that term blessed, what we're saying is this. is to be happy by God. That is the source of our happiness and the source of our joy. Because in the English, the word happiness comes from the same root word as happening. It's temporary. It doesn't last long, right? Do you remember those great Christmas gifts that you got at Christmas? The things that you really wanted? How are those things working for you now? They still have the same luster. They still have the... You remember the things that you really wanted as a kid? Thought this would be the greatest thing in the world to get? Well, I remember getting the, um, the Hot Wheels racetrack. Anybody get one of those things? And, and like it would go around. Or, or the racetracks that... I don't, I don't really know how it worked, but you plugged it into the wall and you squeezed the trigger and it just went around and around and around real fast. And I thought that would be the greatest thing ever. But I got it for Christmas and in about an hour I was done with it. Because I was like, I, I'm tired of seeing this. I don't get to do anything but hold a trigger and watch it go round and round and round, right? Because sometimes the things that we think make us happy don't really make us happy. Happiness in, the, in our context is that it is just in the moment. It, it doesn't, there's no sustenance to it. But God says, if you want to be blessed, you need to understand that blessings, you're being made happy not by things, not by others, but you're being made happy by God. And that's where he, he gets this, this teaching. Uh, he he kind of drills down to the people that this is where it at. This is where it is. And so what this means is that in the Beatitudes, Jesus is establishing that a person can be blessed and happy but they can also be stuck in very unfavorable circumstances. You can be in some pretty bad spots, but still be blessed. You can be poor. You can be hurting. You can be in the middle of a mess, but still your circumstances do not dictate your happiness because your happiness comes only by God. And there's a big difference there. We, we, he's, the happiness of the world fluctuates, and the blessing of happiness from God is steadfast. It continues to move. So when Jesus gives us these beatitudes, it's countercultural to the things that we, we know now. Let's, so here's a list of, the, here's some blessed statements if we were to put them into our culture, into our American culture. So if Americans put together our own list of beatitudes, here's what it sounds like. Blessed are the rich, for they can do whatever they want. True? Blessed are you when you accept yourself and you will find your inner peace. Blessed, blessed are those who believe in themselves for they will accomplish their goals. These sound like good bumper sticker type things, right? Blessed are the influencers and people who are very put together. Blessed are those who are rising in their careers no matter what the cost. Blessed are those who have found their truth. Can I just tell you that we're arguing over uh, there is no absolute truth anymore. Have you all notice this? Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. But if your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, somebody's living a lie. Y'all follow me? Don't, get, don't let culture sweep, sweep you up in this mess because that's what it is. You need to be happy and content. But here's what happens. When we follow this whole happy and content thing, what did Jesus just tell us? 
That's not true happiness. That's actually being deceived. You want to know a way the enemy still kills and destroys? That is one of the ways he does that, by getting you on the other things that do not provide kingdom happiness because you're not realizing where it comes from. So Jesus is proposing, I'm not, I'm not about the blessed life that is for the rich and, and for you that if you accept yourself and if you want to be an influencer. What Jesus is saying is I am proposing that there is a blessing that you will find that will be bulletproof and it will be stormproof, it will be waterproof. It, it, nothing's going to stop it because you're going to find complete joy and satisfaction in who I am. It's not based on the circumstances. I would even say this, that blessings do not always mean that our circumstances align. There are things that I've prayed and asked God for, and God said no. He just says no. And then you realize that if God is good, the circumstances of what's happening around me is not adding up. They don't have to because this is, this is not good, but he is. And he is still in, he's still in control because as long as I am in his kingdom, he is on the throne and he is in control. We, we, we follow in that. Because I think a lot of days we live as if Jesus is not on the throne. That if he's confused about what's going on. Can I just tell you and give you some peace? He is an immutable God. You know what that means? He never changes. He's not getting up off the throne. He is in his permanent position reigning supremely. Oftentimes, we will view blessings as a promotion at work and not a demotion. Sometimes the demotion is a blessing. We may see it a blessing as a pay raise, but not see the blessing in the pay decrease. We may see the blessing in the bigger house and not the smaller one. We may see a, a favorable doctor's report and not a scary one. Here's what he's saying. You need, to, you need to change your perspective because the things, we always look at the good things as the blessing. Sometimes the not so good things are God's blessings. Because he's got, you know what, pruning is not fun. But, but if you want your, your garden to grow, you got to trim some things and cut some things away. Anybody got rose bushes? I hate pruning those rose bushes. Thorns everywhere, Right? You come in, look like a cat scratched you all up, but you prune them. And then what happens in a few weeks? You got beautiful roses. There's a pruning process. And we, we've, grown, we've grown up in such safe culture that if it's good, it's a blessing. If it's bad, it's not. What if I told you that sometimes God allowed that diagnosis to come across the table? And that was a blessing in that. What if I told you that that pay decrease... That job change, that friend that walked out on you, that spouse that may have walked out on you, that, that could be a completely different thing. And you look at it as all oh, the world's gone. God will take troubles and make them blessings. Miracles always started with something bad happens. You notice that? Something bad's going on before the miracle can happen. And the miracle is the fact that God is in the blessing business. So we got to change our perspective. This is the cultural living. This is countercultural. That it's not being optimistic. It's being kingdom focused. That it's not always going to be what we would define as good. Because I would also say this. I don't know that the things that we always call good are of God. 
What do you think the disciples are feeling in this moment as Jesus is opening the sermon up? Is attention. Because everything they've ever thought, every blessing they've ever thought, is not really a blessing. And they're realizing very quickly that the blessing comes from God making them happy, that their circumstances don't necessarily align. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Change your perspective on what's happening around you. You, And the way to do that is to have a biblical worldview about everything going on around you. I read a statistic this week. It was heartbreaking. The statistic by Barna, uh, George Barna and their research company said that 37% of pastors that preach in the pulpit on Sunday morning have a biblical worldview. I'm in the 37%, by the way. You can, you can relax. 37% have a biblical worldview. And these are the shepherds. What's, what's going on? What's happening? Do you think that we've lost view of the kingdom of God? Do you think that we've missed God at work and the teachings that he's trying to teach us? Because sometimes this stuff is hard. But if God has the absolute truth, I can't have my truth in him too, right? One of us is not right. And it's easy to go ahead and just point out which one's not right. (laughs) It's me. When we think that blessing comes with favorable conditions there's a danger in that thinking right and the danger in this kind of thinking comes when these favorable conditions become the only standard for blessing because it leads us to both a deep-seated frustration and a misguided understanding of how God really works in the world because then God does this thing happens and it's good and this thing happens and it's bad and then we go whoa why is God doing this to me I don't understand why this happened because he was just doing this and now he's doing this I don't understand and we begin frustrated and sometimes our frustration is awfully a cause of our lack of understanding of who he is and, and that's what he's pushing us towards and so I would I would stop right here and just ask this question is he your your ultimate place of satisfaction and joy because if anything else is bringing that it's not because he has to be the satisfaction James says this the brother of Jesus he says count it all joy everything just put it all in there count it all the joy when you meet trials of various kinds am I the only one that when trial comes the first thing out of my mouth is not oh what a blessing this is I love it Bring it. Because my first thing is, Jesus, are you serious right now? Are you, I mean, come on. Are are we for real? And I want you to understand, they're experiencing persecution. And James says, count it joy. Count it joy when you're arrested for your faith. Count it joy when they beat you half to death. Count it joy when they talk behind your back. Count it joy when they talk to your face. He says, count it all joy when you meet these trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith. See, James' perspective changed. He understands that when these trials and tribulations come, that it is a, a test for him to, for his faith to produce a steadfastness, to stay in the faith. And he says, let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. It's a perspective change. You know how crazy you would be to go to people that were struggling through things and be like, you need to count this a blessing right now. Tell Jesus, thank you for bringing this devastation into your life. 
how's that going to work in your conversation with your friends? Probably not going to be friends anymore, right? The blessed condition of a Christ follower means this, that although we're still in the world, we are not dependent on it. We're not dependent. And, and, and listen, he's not saying you can't have things. What he's saying is things can't have you. And there's a big difference. We worship the creator, not the creation. And oftentimes I think we, we get that backwards in a lot, of, a lot of points. But we are still in the world, but we are not of the world. We're not dependent on the world. Our satisfaction, our happiness comes from God, not from the world. And when a person's happiness and satisfaction comes from God, the Bible says that person is blessed. They're made happy by God, not by an American dream. They're not made right by the right circumstances. They're not made right by the promotion or the next paycheck. Jesus declares this in the first beatitude. So in Matthew chapter 5, he says this. Blessed, what does blessed mean? To be made happy by God. Blessed are the poor. And sometimes when people quote this, that's the end of it. But let's follow through the next piece. Blessed are the poor in, say it with me, spirit. That's important. Jesus is not talking about material poverty right here. He is talking about spiritual bankruptcy. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask this question. Whose is the kingdom of heaven? The poor in spirit. What, what does that mean? Well, again, he's not saying that you should be without. If that were true, this would be an extremely unhelpful verse for people who are materially poor. This verse doesn't sanction material poverty. What it does is, uh, if, if it did that, it would conflict with the biblical mandate in James one twenty two that tells us to help the poor or the widow. Okay, so that, that's not where Jesus is going with this. Jesus is using this financial reality to show a spiritual poverty with the people. A, a good translation is Eugene Peterson's message translation. I don't know if you read the message often or not, but the same verse in, in today's language would sound like this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. What a, what a great way to, to summarize that verse, to paraphrase it. Our culture tells us that if we climb the ladder of success, we will be blessed. We will have prosperity. But what if the blessing is not at the top of the ladder, it's at the end of your rope? What if it's at the end of your rope? And you don't realize it because your eyes have not locked with the Father yet to see it. Because we're worried about the circumstances and the things aren't aligning with how you feel. Let's not... Let's be careful not to allow our emotions to try to attach to our circumstances. Let's allow our theology to overtake our circumstances. Don't wrap circumstances around theology. Wrap th theology around the circumstance and let that form and let that mold it. So blessing may be not at the top of the ladder, but at the end of the rope when, when it seems like everything is falling apart. To be in poor in spirit means this, is, is to acknowledge our spiritual poverty, our spiritual bankruptcy. To, to say before God, hey, I, man, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I don't, 
I don't, there's no way that I can get to you. There's nothing that I can do to restore this relationship with you. In James 15, and, and there's a couple of verses here that really just drill this thought home. And, and here's one, John, James 15, John 15, he says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides, say that word with me, abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. But in Philippians, he tells us that we can do all things through who? Through Christ who strengthens us. And in John, we can do nothing apart from him. Abiding is the key word in that text, by the way. In Romans 3, he says this, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless, and no one does good, not even one. Thank you, the Apostle Paul, for making me feel about this big today. Who's good? Nobody. Who can save themselves? Nobody. Doesn't matter how good we think we have it. We are a breath away from it all being over. And he says, who's righteous? None. And when we understand that, and we can fully grasp that verse, we've recognized our spiritual poverty. That I cannot live life the way that it was designed without Jesus being at the, the steering wheel. And I don't even need to be in the passenger seat. I probably just need to be in the trunk. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I also have a tendency to be the backseat driver. Anybody have a spouse that's a backseat driver? I just, I'm just trying to call some controversy. I'm just trying to help you out, my man. Jesus is saying that you're blessed when you realize that you have nothing within you that is commendable to God because yours then is the kingdom of heaven. When we, when we understand that, we, the kingdom of heaven is up for us because we're blessed are the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven will not be something that is inherited by self-righteousness or arrogancy because those who think that they don't need God, well, they are God because if you don't think you need him, then you're God. Okay, and so the world's filled with people who are materially rich, but spiritually poor. Spiritually poor. Now, when Paul gives us that first verse, it's like kicking in the stomach. Because you can't, if he ended that passage right there, it's like, what's the point? What am I supposed to do? If nobody's righteous and I can't do anything about it, Paul, why, why are you telling me this? But can I give you what the gospel is? Because thank God Paul didn't leave us right there. Listen to what he, he continues his verse by saying this. And I want you to say this with me. For all have, all right, you got that, sinners? We all have. Nobody's perfect. That's the first thing, okay? So when we get really, really aggravated at people who don't know Jesus for acting like people who don't know Jesus, Go back to this verse and read it to yourself. For all have, and you ready for the next part? They fall short of the glory of God. They miss the standard. And we are justified. Listen to the language. Justified by his grace. You know what you did to get that grace? Nothing. You did absolutely. Grace, and here's the acronym, a good, good Baptist acronym right here. Grace is God's reward at Christ's expense. 
He gave it to you. You did nothing to earn it. This is what separates followers of Jesus and proclaimers that they're Christians, is understanding this concept. He's justified by grace, and get this, as a gift. Now the question is, do you accept that gift or not? Because it's only a gift if you accept it. Through the redemption, in, in other words, God has restored this relationship between he and I. That is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. What a big word. And that just means that we avoided the wrath of God. Now, we don't want to be underneath that, right? That we, God has put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins, and it was to show that his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's what it means, is that you and I, that God paid, Jesus pays this price to declare us as righteous before God. Think about that. He took on our sin. Matter of fact, Paul will go on to say, Talking about Jesus, he that knew no sin, he did not sin, became sin, our sin offering, on our behalf. And here's the next part of that verse. So that you and I may become the righteousness of God. What did we do to become the righteousness of God? Nothing, because we are spiritually bankrupt. And you want to be filled with God, you've got to be empty to the world to be filled with God. And the emptying start, because listen, this is the first thing that he teaches out of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, you don't get this, you're not going to get the rest of this message. Because this is about emptying yourself and recognizing your reliance and your need for a Savior. Countercultural teaching. Because Jesus is stating that the hopeless cases are actually those who refuse to declare their spiritual bankruptcy and their subsequent need for the mercy of God. The ones that are in danger are the ones that are, that are afraid to admit that they're spiritually bankrupt and in poverty. Not about the material, it's about the spiritual. It's about the perspective of how we see the blessing. We'll say it this way, the mark of a kingdom citizen is a growing awareness of our sinfulness and our need for the Father. I don't know, how, I don't, I don't know what, when you read verses like we did in Romans, of knowing that you and I have been a part. Like there's nothing there, but God says, I have covered the debt. I've taken care of it. You didn't have to do anything. Now, to get the benefit of the blessing, we get, we get to abide with Jesus. We get to spend time with him. We don't have to. That's a burden. And he said his burden was light. We get to. You want, to see, you want to see the kingdom of heaven come to earth? Step one would be blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Recognizing that we have nothing, can do nothing without the spirit and the power of God. Let me go back to what we talked about earlier. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Because he helps us live these values, these teachings out. I want to close with this verse and the worship team will come back and we're going to sing here and make some declarations. But in, in Revelation chapter 3 uh, and 17, 
the right, John's writing about a church in Laodicea, and he, he says these words to a church, by the way. He's saying this to who? To a church, in the church of Laodicea. And he says, for you say, I am rich, and I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are a wretched, gosh, I hope he never says this about us. You're wretched, and you're poor, and you're blind, and you're naked, and you don't even realize it. He will go on to say and write these words that I will spew you out of my mouth. In other words, you make me want to vomit because you're just lukewarm. You talk a big game, but there's nothing. It's about living out the value. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's a different, different understanding, isn't it? That we've been called to live with a kingdom perspective. I believe, I believe that we, there's change that happens. God is in control. The universe is spinning and he holds it in his hands. The word gives us these promises and and this understanding. But the, the first place before we can do anything, that God always wants to do a work in you before he does something through you. And in order for him to do a work in you, you've got to empty yourself to realize, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. That we sometimes got to let the Father do it. I remember like when, when Gibson, and Gibson is like this tall, my son Gibson, when he's growing up, and I remember we walked into Target one day, and I said, watch this, Gibson, because he had just watched Star Wars, and I held my hand at the doors, and they opened up. He was like, oh, man. Thought I was a hero. And we were walking out Target. I said, you try it. He went, and the doors opened, and his eyes got really big. Then I had to break it to him. Those were automatic, and they did it for everybody. But, but what, if, what if there was that power within us that God wanted to, to be able to give us that power to move mountains? You and I can't do that. We can only do it through the power of the Spirit of God that dwells within us. So my question to you this morning as we get ready to to sing, when he says blessed is the poor in spirit, is he talking about you? Have we come to a place just to have total surrender and say, God, I have nothing. I am yours. You fill me, empty me. Break me, do whatever you need to do to break it because I want to I want to abide and be more like you. And the gospel of the good news is he promises to stand in our place and declare our righteousness on his behalf. He is the justifier and that who carried justice. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you today that you give us your word and that um that our blessings come from you. And I pray today would have perspective changes of things in life and just ask, ask you, is this a blessing? And test it against your word. I pray too, God, that we would realize that when you say that blessed is the poor in spirit, that we would just do a, a, a search within ourselves. So we, are there things that we're still trying to control within us that need to be surrendered? I know that it's in all of us. It's a constant. It's not a one-time go away. It's a constant having to, to search So we would pray the prayer of David, search us, O God. And in these next moments, may we just hear from you and seek you. And may your Holy Spirit speak 
loudly to us. And may we respond with nothing but obedience. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand and let's worship?